0: Hi, I'm Melissa Chen. And I'm
1: Angel Eduardo.
0: We're the hosts of the Fair Perspectives podcast, and we're excited to announce our show is moving to a new YouTube channel.
1: Thank you to all of our listeners who have helped make Fair Perspectives the success that it is, with enough content to need its own home. Keep following the show at our new channel, Fair Perspectives, with the link in the description below.
0: Please subscribe there to make sure you don't miss our upcoming episodes. We're thrilled to have you as part of the Fair community. And welcome to Fair Perspectives, the official podcast of the pro human movement, brought to you by the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. I'm your host, Melissa Chen, and my co host, who you will hear from shortly, is Angel Eduardo. Today we have a special episode. Fair is releasing a short film from filmmaker Daisy Wu, starring friend of Fair, Ye Pogue. Our conversation today is with Ye and Daisy, but first, we are proud to present their film, The Chinese Box which touches on how government reinforces racial categories, often against the will of people who feel flattened by those categories. For those of you listening on the audio feed, you can find a link to watch the film in the episode's description. Xiaowen Daisy Wu is currently an international student studying film and television production at the University of Southern California. She previously finished her undergrad degree at Boston University. Her work explores identity, feminism, and social issues. Dr. Ye Zhang Pog is a health policy researcher and behavioral scientist. She explores the concept of identity in American culture through writing. Because of her experience of living and coping with bipolar disorder and its stigma, she has developed a unique way of seeing the world through common humanity. She writes for Psychology Today's blog, The Human Identity, and her work has been published in Newsweek and on Fair Substack. She is also the vice president of the nonprofit organization, Asian Americans for Equal Rights. And now, I bring you The Chinese Box.
2: What makes me being me? This is a question I always ask myself. What defines who I am? I believe the journey of life is to figure this answer out. But I was surprised that politics had answered that for me. Since 2017, Massachusetts has been considering adding national origin boxes on every government form, like Chinese, Indian, or Korean, to study and appreciate diversity among Asian communities. They said, it was to collect disaggregated race data. According to government statistics, I'm a Chinese woman. I'm good at school, but not English. I have a high income, but more likely to have a mental disorder. This is how they think of me. I hate to be treated as numbers known as a human being with thoughts and feelings. My life is not data for scholars, politicians, or special interests. Activism is about persistence. I voice my disagreement from different angles. I testify that the data sampling method is not scientific. They said, this data is important. I explained, it's stressful to ask immigrants' nationality. They repeated, this data is very important. I argued, asking Asian-American, where are you really from, is a microaggression. They said it again. We must have this data to provide language services. But Chinese is not even a language. I have been repeating this for three years. Politicians do not want to listen to a Chinese person, but they certainly want Chinese data. My every advocacy trip ends at a Chinese restaurant. After I left my activist peers at State House, I walked to Chinatown alone. I mourned the innocent young lady who I once was. When I was in a restaurant, I bent in. Nobody paid special attention to me. I feel free. On this journey, I questioned who I am, and here's my answer. I'm an Asian. I am Chinese. I'm a woman. I have an invisible disability. All these factors definitely shape my experience. However, I'm beyond all combinations of these boxes and labels. What really defines me are my choices, not the things I'm born into. It's a battle over who defines my identity. I will keep the fight.
0: Hey, Daisy. Hey, Yeah. How are you guys? Good. Welcome to uh, Fair Perspectives. Very excited to have both of you on. That, that film, that short film that, that I saw, at least, was, um, was very in- interesting and very well shot. But I, I want to get a sense uh, of, of who both of you are. Um, what is your journey? What is your story? How did you guys get here to be talking to us today? Want to go first, Daisy?
3: Okay, and um, hi everyone. My name is Daisy. I'm currently a first year grad production student at USC. And the film was made when I was an undergrad at Boston University. It was supposed to be a film we had like a like a student you know assignment in the production one class. We're supposed to make a nonfiction portraying someone that is out of the BU bubble. So literally speaking, Yale was the only person I know who is like outside BU. But by that time, I actually never, ever talked to her. But like we had a mutual friend. So we had our like contact info on the social media. I have like by that time, I knew that she was like doing this like advocacy trip for a long time. I've been following her journey throughout like WeChat moments. And I took the courage and contact her. It was Mm -hmm. the best thing of my life.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Such a nice introduction. I can introduce myself. So I'm Ye-Jong ho and I was not political active at all until I encountered that bill, Asian data okay. deserogation. I was very, very shocked, and I jumped in. And so I came here, came to US as an international student. I studied economics. And then I went into the field of public health. And then I found, wow, there are so many policy making talk about the public health. And in the name of helping me, Chinese American woman. And then I really feel I was, wow, it didn't seem like it's working. And so I speak up and I thought just speak up will make a difference. Then I thought, no, 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 you know the case. You get really to speak up, speak up loud and persistent and relentless. And so I post a lot of stuff on social media about what I have done. And then I caught the attention of Daisy. And then that's how we started to have this
0: project. Interesting. Okay. So from what I understand of the film, it's addressing a lot of questions about identity. And, and in particular, it's about a pan-ethnic identity, right? It's, it's this idea that it's a bureaucratic category called Asian Americans, and all of us get kind of stuffed under that. Um, it's a very big category. And you're kind of wrestling with, with issues of uh, whether it's the political or social consequences of this categorization. Do you want to kind of expound a little bit more? Cuz you said this you there was a bill, there was a particular bill that that wanted to dis- disaggregate identity or, or race. Yeah. And 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 that that's what led you to this. Do you want to expound a little bit more on I don't know what that story sure, is sure. like this.
2: Of course. So for me, now I'm a board member, a vice president of an organization called Asian Americans for Equal Rights, but I never really think Asian is my identity. Because I come from a different country, clearly. Come here, I feel there is a label category has been forced upon me. So I run organization for a cause and then improve the people's welfare of all people of our Asian origin. And then I was so frustrated when I know there are some folks they want to want to kind of, this sounds like disaggregated Asian. Say, so we want respect. We are not Asian. We are Chinese, Korean, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I respect that sentiment. But for me, it's actually racialized re- people, racialized Chinese into a new group. Why I say that? When I was trying to oppose it, I come from two angles. The first one is, I don't think this characterization actually works any better than Asian. Chinese is also still very, very broad. People who came here 100 years ago and people who came here yesterday, then mix that together and you want to make that as some foundation for policy. I think it's bad policymaking. That is for me professionally. The second is I found people kind of cling onto something they're born into. And like, oh, I'm Chinese. Chinese means a lot for me and I need to orient my life as a Chinese-American person or as a Chinese person. And I was very surprised because people seem to assume when you disaggregate a group, you suddenly found something meaningful because Asian is such a large group. So it's not meaningful enough. When they put in you in a smaller box, life makes sense now. I was very, very frustrated by that. So it doesn't make sense for me. It makes less sense for me anymore. So that's why I speak up first as a, Researcher, I said policy makingly no good. Secondly, as a human being, I don't think that is an identity I feel really valuable for me and for many people who think like me. And that's why how I
1: jumped in this discourse. Now Daisy, what about what about this particular thing resonated with you? Why did you want to make a film about this? You could have made a film about anything.
3: <laughs> True. I'm in, I'm I'm now like still an international student, like you know, being here as a Chinese person and you know, trying to blend in has been always something that we were trying to do. And like yeah reminds me of how I started out like here in freshman year and just like constantly has a struggle of like, who am I in this like new country? I'm trying to you know, study here, but on the other hand, like, do I hang out with like my Chinese friends? Do I try to socialize with other people? It's, uh, I think like the central question I've been always struggling is like, how, who am I? Like, how should I, you know, supposed to mm, just like live and study here?
1: So there's all these interesting tensions, right? Because I remember Melissa in an earlier podcast episode, you, you mentioned how you didn't know you were Asian until you got to the United States. Suddenly you're Asian. And that's yeah. this category that, that seems meaningful to people uh, yeah. and people willfully kind of put themselves into that box. And I can see, I can see the objections there, right? But I can also, so, but, you know, Ye is also going a step further saying even Chinese is kind of reductive. But, right. but I guess the, the question becomes, how far do you go and what is the utility of any of these things? Is there any utility? What do you think?
2: I can answer this. So yeah. for me, I feel the problem is, I also feel Asian was forced upon me. That is no problem. When I answer questionnaires, become a scholar, I help many people answer their questionnaire. So when there is a risk box, I just click Asian. For me, it's just a geographic region. Clearly, I'm from Asia, right? It just had no meaning for me. It doesn't matter until it suddenly mm-hmm. become a tool of policy making. Then I start to think, well, this thing has policy meaning now, that makes me think, and then I Mm. think the other is for identity reason, people put more emphasis, more weight under that label, both Asian and Chinese, more than I think it deserves. So race is engineer category. I I always told people, I said, hey, who created race? White supremacists, not anybody else. And then why cling on to that? That looks like reasonable. And so after I learned this, I said, no, 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 I don't want that. I don't want that kind of feeling, kind of meaning. But we did have some racist problem in this country, like Chinese Exclusion Act. It has some meaning, but I don't want to make the meaning, make it internalized into me, make myself like a group who had been identified as a victim. I think to Mm. make the society better. We need to acknowledge that past, but not make ourselves a part of that past. And then that is, I think, the, the important thing is not that I put, into, put me into the Asian box, or Chinese box. Like Chinese is real. I'm proud, very proud of being Chinese. I'm very authentically Chinese. But I don't want people, when they see a box, they make a lot of assumptions about me, and then they think, oh, it must be important for you in certain, certain way without even asking. I think that's the problem.
0: I think it's really interesting also when we decide to disaggregate the the umbrella term Asian American when when we don't, right? And so when you look at um, what's going on with the crimes on the street with Asian Americans kind of getting, you know, a lot of these viral videos
1: Mm -hmm. of
0: older Asian people getting beat up on the streets, whether it's in Chinatown in New York or San Francisco... There's this AAPI hashtag, stop AAPI hate, because that's kind of the new term. Instead of just Asian American, it's AAPI. And now they added two more letters to that alphabet soup. It's now AAPI NH, because Native Hawaiians are now distinct from just Pacific Islanders. And, oh, wow. and, in, and then when you have college admissions, for example, all of a sudden when, when that issue is concerned, there's this drive to actually disaggregate Asian American because Asian-Americans are no longer considered a diversity play, right? Where it's, 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 we're not underrepresented anymore. And so they try to break it down. What is it with South, Mm. South, uh, South Asians? Is it Hmong Americans? And, and that's kind of like, you know, this game that they play with like disaggregating, not disaggregating. When do you identify with the smaller group identity, the pan-ethnic identity? It's kind of like the Hispanics, right? It's the same kind of term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But at least, at least for Hispanics, I think there's even more of a common cultural, um, shared culture because at least Hispanics share at least one and a a half languages. Most of them speak Spanish. Most. And and Portuguese, right? But, but Asians are like anywhere from Tajikistan to Japan. It's, it's just an even crazier, bigger area with more diverse cultures and religions.
2: Actually, we do share something similar. We share one history. It's being excluded from immigration because it started oh. <laughs> with Chinese exclusion act yeah. and then it was expanded to Japanese and expanded it to all Asian. But we shouldn't define ourselves using that, right? It's a very mm. sad history. And I think we can sometimes sit together and talk about it. But I don't think yeah. it's a strong justification to make it something just mm. so real because it's always human brain loves category when no matter how we divide people after you make divide you will find it makes sense that like you can divide Chinese into other ways like commonly speaking Chinese Mandarin speaking mm. Chinese and people will say yeah yeah it makes so much sense so I just feel a lot of times how we divide people or should we do it at all that is really something we need to talk more, but there is not enough conversation about it.
1: Right, That's a right. great point. That's a great point because it's making me think, you know, we don't really talk about it in the context of Asian Americans or Asians in general. We talk, we, we know a lot about it and, you know, the, the, the history of slavery and and that group becoming something, some meaningful designation and people who have that shared history of, You know, ancestry of slaves, and turning that into a community based on that ancestry, but we don't really hear about it very much in terms of Asian American. That's that's a really interesting thing that I, you know, it's weird that I've never even considered it that way. And it is strange to group yourselves based on this historical, uh, you know, oppression. But but the other thing you said about you know the human brain loves categories. We do, and we can't help it, right? But it's, yeah. it's interesting how far we can subdivide, right? So just thinking of, you know, you're, you're British, but you're not just British, you're English, but you're not just English, you're a Londoner, but you're not just a Londoner. You are from this specific uh, little neighborhood that has its own accent, and people can tell just from hearing you speak where exactly you're from in London. And we, and probably there's even more subdivisions within that, like, oh, you're from this block versus the other block. And I can see, so my question is, I I can see how sometimes it makes sense to designate myself, for example, as someone who lives in New York or even further, someone who lives in Queens, right? Or then go up further and say, you know, someone who lives in America and then someone who is a child of immigrants. Like all these categories are In some way accurate. And they may, they may give some detail about who I am, depending on the level. But then there's also all these other ways in which it it erases who I actually am and the assumptions you mentioned. But can you see any utility in doing this? You mentioned you're proud of of being Chinese, but but that it doesn't really encapsulate who you are. Does it what what meaning does it provide for us to know that you're Chinese?
3: So Daisy, do you want to answer this question? Um, when I, Actually, I feel like when I bring up like the topics that I'm Chinese, like what I'm actually want people to like know is just, I hope they could like sit down and really talk to me. Like, you know, where is your hometown? How do you grow up? Who's your family? What do you really like? When I bring up like this sense of, I'm who like like I'm a Chinese. I'm sharing my proud. I just like is very ready to share my like life experience, my culture. But I just like feel like people sometimes just oh you're a Chinese and bam that is the end of the topic. They they, they get the answer and they pass it. I'm like no 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 I want to say more. But they're like okay you're a Ch- Chinese I know. Chinese is interesting also because because it's a
0: nationality, it's a culture, it's an ethnicity. Because um, mm. I, I get asked that question all the time: Are you Chinese? And I'm like, Do you mean from China? Do you mean do I speak it? What? Mm. Right. So, so there's this um, there's this other uh, com- complication, at least with that term
2: itself. Mm. that's true. Yeah, that is really a good question because I should say those labels, those groups, like what Daisy said, she wants to talk about what is really her life, right? Chinese is being an important aspect of her life, and when she really wants to get into it, talk about it, people say, "I know about you now. You are Chinese." Done, mm-hmm. right? I feel one disadvantage of having those labels is it make people very lazy. Like, oh, I know Chinese, and I know you are Chinese, and in the future, when I have a question about Chinese food, I'm going to <laughs> going to ask you. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, how I want to buy a ticket to China. Tell me where to buy it. Right. right. That is a useful yeah. god You see, it has its utility. Right you now, you how to, you know how to organize your information. You use that organizing mm-hmm. information, and yeah, and, and but I, that, there is really there is a danger of it, because yeah. our census classification. Do, do you know there is a coded coded microaggression for lack of a better word. Asian people, see people who are classified racialized Asian, they hate the question, "What type of Asian are you?" Most they hate the question, "What type of Asian? Where are you really from?" They hate it, and at the right. same time, people want to say, "I'm proud to be Chinese." That is very, very self contradicting, right? Once that they feel this, they feel they are not respected because people just like this is I want to know where are you really from. End of it. And they feel Uh they have been shut up. And then the other is that they want to feel they really belong. They want to have a sense of their holistic self. I guess it means including their ethnic identity. So they want to talk about it. I see Mm -hmm. this really complicated issue when I was navigating this Asian world because I never thought it would be important. I just want to click a box to help the researcher. So the data is complete. It just had not, no other mm-hmm. meaning. And after I really talked to the Asian-American, I mean the people who were born here, grew up here, I found they assigned the word, both Asian and Chinese. There are way more meaning associated with that. So I cannot mm-hmm. speak for them. For me, I feel being Chinese is a fact. And I like my heritage. And I hope my future child, I don't have them yet, what happened? I hope they can identify as half Chinese. And I, I I want that happen. But how the kids and their peers feel about what it meaning, what the meaning of being Chinese? I'm clueless about that. I'm still trying to understand because it becomes personal for me after I know those people, their struggle. So I see those fight over the census box of data disaggregation. It's really way more than policy making. At the beginning, I thought it's simple. This is a bad policy because if you want to disaggregate, you need to do more, like figure out who is the immigrant, who is not, where are they from? They come as a refugee or other class of people. And that's how you make policy Mm decisions. And I think it's very easy to think, okay, because Chinese is broad, so we definitely don't want to move it from a huge category. To another huge category. But people really, really, I mean, the second generation Chinese immigrant, the children grew up here, they are super passionate about that box. And it must mm. have some really good, uh, good stuff for them. And later I worked with them a little bit together to try to get the Chinese American history into curriculum. And the fair is doing a great job of doing that. And I, I feel maybe they feel there is a Chinese box. It means they are seeing themselves somewhere in the society. Just like Daisy Wills. No, there are people really want to listen to her rather than just say, okay, I I I I saw your face. I know who you are, right? It's my, my understanding. Mm.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you on that point. It's actually quite profound. Like you and like Daisy, I'm 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 first generation too. Actually, I'm not even first generation. I'm the immigrant. I chose to come here. I'm not I wasn't born here, you know, and I don't have grandparents who, who, who moved here. Um, and I find that immigrants are far more alike than native-born Americans. There are just certain shared experiences, shared cultures, um, mm-hmm. shared values that, that, um, that are a bit more, you know, salient among immigrants. And, and the-
1: You mean immigrants it, of any kind? Of any, of any
0: kind. Background. Of any kind. So yeah. it, it's almost like just knowing that that you are the one that, you know, that you are the one that chose to immigrate here and had to adapt to America already means that we share more because we had to learn the same things and go through the same process than an act, so than an Asian American who's third generation, who's, you know, grew up in Connecticut, in Hartford, Connecticut. And and went to high school here and, and and you know is completely americanized and completely assimilated into the culture and and so i will have far more in common with i don't know a, a south asian somebody a, an immigrant from bangladesh than than an asian american who i share that big box racial category that that you are talking about and and that's actually a very uh, profound point about when something is meaningful and when it's not and i should can't help but be a bit more cynical about this because i see this census category as a way to create a voting block. It is a very useful voting block. I mean, I think Asian Americans account for 7.2% of the entire U.S. population. And, you know, kind of having that category makes them a more powerful, a, a minority to be reckoned with. And, and so, you know, we had this interesting conversation with, actually, Angel and I talked to Thomas Chettington-Williams who was explaining to us that in France, they do things very differently. They actually don't collect racial data. And so if you want to even like find out like, what is the crime rate of a certain subset of, I don't know, the Arab population that, you know, is living in France, you can't really know that because they have quite explicitly colorblind policies. And so Angel's question about what is the, you know, do you see any utility? Is, 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 is an interesting question to debate on because I think other countries do things very differently. And, and France shows an example of, of a country that, that does not want to consider these labels, doesn't use them. And so can you, if there are problems, do you know what they are and, and how to fix them? Which, which is an interesting question because what, what is the alternative, I guess, to, to
2: having this system that we have in America. Yeah, I feel this is a very fine line to walk because as a researcher, I love data. We love to categorize people which really like it. But the problem is not collect data. If we just collect data and people don't think that is important, it won't be a problem. Say we can classify the society into different groups and we use it to diagnose some problem. For example, we want to know if Chinese... When they go to hospital do they have enough access to language service that is a i would say that information could be useful however there's a balance if we make it so meaningful and use it to orientate our whole life from who you are to which school you go what culture you belong who you identify with and from the day of birth to day of death i feel that is a problem and uh, like the classification is done by government. I kind of feel, I have been thinking about it a lot, Melissa. I have the same question. Because those data collection has its utility, but how to make sure we are not going that far. Sometimes I feel, let's don't even have it. And sometimes I feel, it can be for diagnostic purpose. So my answer is, I don't know. I, I But I want to make sure, see, we already have it. I really want to, make it detached from the person. It can reflect some societal issue, but if we make it a part of you, that's what I feel that is too much. That is that is totally going a uh, wrong direction. That's how I feel.
1: I yeah, I saw I was just trying to find it, but I saw this headline <laughs> that just said, you know, research shows uh Latino voters are very much like all other voters. Like this is a, this is like a, a, a fascinating discovery that, you know, this, this group that you've put together that actually has no meaning because it's, there's so many disparate cultures within it. They have the same thoughts and feelings and differences between them and among them as anybody else. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I think Melissa's right about, you know, basically what we're doing is creating voting blocks so that then we can take action in certain ways, but, but I wonder if the trade-off is worth it, right? Because then you think about, oh, we need to get the Latino vote, we need to get the Asian vote. But what is the Asian vote? And it's the implication is automatically there that all these people that you've grouped together think the same. And so you, there's one policy to attract this one group of millions of people. And, you know, again like with the subdivisions, you know, Melissa you mentioned that immigrants have a lot in common, right? But you can even subdivide there. There's, I think, a market difference between immigrants who came here when they were young and immigrants who came here after they were full, fully grown adults. Correct, yeah. Right, now I forget which, which I think you were like, you are a teenager maybe when you got here? Oh yeah. Is that right?
0: Much older. Yeah,
1: so that's different than if you got here when you were five or even when you, got it when you were 10, right? That, it's a different experience. And so there you go. We can subdivide these cohorts into smaller and smaller groups to get more precision. And yeah. that precision makes sense to me, but that the larger sort of thing doesn't make sense to me at all. Now, yeah, you and I were at a conference recently mm-hmm. uh, where one of the things we discussed was actually petitioning the U.S. Census to, rem- to remove or modify the way it, it categorizes or collects racial data, right? So it asks right now it asks you, what, what is your race? And it gives you a very, limited, a very limited set of potential responses, right? And what we were talking about during the conference was just changing the language slightly. So instead of saying, what is your race? It's asking, how are you racialized? Just to kind of take a step forward in this, in this process of eliminating this category altogether. But so much of the conversation was about whether that actually ends up reinforcing the categories themselves, right? And then there's all this ambiguity about the subjectivity of how you're racialized. You know, I couldn't exactly. answer the question. Yes, I
2: know.
1: How I'm racialized <laughs> is really depending on on the person. And I have no way of knowing, right? So like some yeah. people insist that I'm black. Some people insist that I'm black. And some people insist based on the things I've written and said that I'm white.
0: <laughs> politically white. <laughs> and, you're politically white.
1: Yeah, I'm politically white. And then some people insist that I'm mixed. Right. Like, you know, people from the Dominican Republic, their ancestry goes to Europe and Africa. So I'm mixed. And that's what I have to write. But that doesn't, none of those things make any sense, you know, but so, so I'm wondering, I'm wondering if, if there's any reason at all to collect this data in that way, you know, there's a tension within you even because you, you, you love data. You love collecting this stuff. You love categories. It's great for data. But what is the point of the data?
2: Yeah, I see. I exactly know what you are talking about. And it's, yeah. Let's talk about that sense of question. I don't think ever gets implemented because racialized. I actually tried something with many people. They don't know what is racialized. The word doesn't yeah. make sense for them. So, you mm-hmm. know, just people don't know how they are racialized. Like, I know I'm, I'm racialized. Everybody look at me so you are Asian. <laughs> Why I even care? right? Why should I care about how other people see me? But there is one thing quite progressive about that questionnaire. It's called, there is no racial, I have no racial identity. I will click that box. Mm, But I may click I'm racialized as Chinese. Because you see this, there is some competition. Because you know this data is important for someone else, for some civil rights activists. They want to use the number of five million Chinese to want to get some resource, and I very much know those most resources will not go to me or maybe do something against my interest, but still, <laughs> there is a human sense of I don't like the word solidarity, but maybe in solidarity you want they accomplish something because they share some similar trait of you and I think that is something we need to overcome like this yeah if we all overcome this naturally natural urge of, oh, I want to help my own people, we have to overcome that. Otherwise, we will all travel in this category forever and a lot of time. And you say, I need to overcome this because I'm a researcher. I want that data. And I better give it up because the more I want it, and because if I create a box, it is generation to come. It's not just that I successfully put a box into census and I get my data. Oh, it will last 100 years. Then
0: think about that. You know, I, I think there is some complexity to racialization, right? Because there's sometimes I enjoy being racialized as Chinese and there's sometimes I don't. When I get pulled over <laughs> for a speaking, speeding ticket, I hope the cop racialized me as Chinese. But when I'm trying to parallel park in public and everyone's staring at me, I, I hope I don't get racialized as Chinese. So it's, it's very complex when I like getting racialized and when I don't. And I and I think it like ultimately this conversation is is resting upon this idea of, of stereotypes that when, you know, when we are all categorized this way and there's this overarching, you know, identity that's thrust upon us that That we are subject to whatever you know average that the entire category refers to, and sometimes they are good stereotypes, sometimes they are bad stereotypes um, and, and in a way we all get you know affected by it even with wh- regardless of whether the identity exists right and so even if we don't identify that way, I think the problem the reason why this question gets asked, which is how are you racialized is because the idea is that how you are racialized by other people affects how you are treated. How right. you are treated mm-hmm. affects your experience of life in America. And so, you know, there's, there's just two ways to look at this because so much of it is external, right? Like in a way you don't really have a say, you don't really have a choice in how other people are seeing you, whether or not this category exists, you know, like Daisy, you were saying you, you hate it when other people make assumptions about you because you're Chinese. But at the end of the day, you you don't really have a say in that, like, you know, how you are treated by other people. It's just, it's what they're mm-hmm. going to see. And so there's that other complexity. And, you know, I don't know how to resolve that.
1: Daisy, um, feel free to respond to that. But just as we start to to wrap up here too, I want to, I wanted to ask you about your goals as a filmmaker. You know, you made this beautiful film and now you're, you're often in, in Los Angeles doing your thing, what do you see? Is this a a topic that you're going to revisit? Is this something that's really, that's really personal to you that you're connected to? You want to continue to say more about this sort of thing? And what, what is it that you have in mind?
3: Oh, that's actually a very good question because, you know, as filmmakers in school, you're always be pushed to make on your next project. And I just like have this very interesting conversation with my roommate the other day is like, what is my theme? What are the topics I like? And I found oftentimes I make films. I tend to portray identity crisis, like because Mm. I'm like, you know, having experience in multiple countries and just I have Mm. a lot of issues with myself. I really want to discuss like the topic of who I really am, how I treated myself. And this also go with like how I make this documentary with Yeah, because we're all trying to figure out in this process, no matter who we're living, like how can I like you know better serve myself in my journey of life
1: that sounds fantastic thank you <laughs> and it's funny because it's relatable i think all of us will be able to connect to it there's that <laughs> that human thing yeah i, I it's such a funny it's such a funny thing because these categories are all made up really at the end of the day and you know as melissa said how you're seen affects how you're treated but i think there's the extra step that people take and let me know what you think about this the extra step that people take is how they're treated is how they decide to see themselves. Uh, you know? the, so that, that is extra actually a very
3: interesting uh-huh. question.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, I like that. Because that's like taking like the I, power
3: back. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just, yeah. you know, I get confused for Arab all the time. You know, people <laughs> literally walk up to me speaking Arabic and Greek. <laughs> you know, uh, I, uh, I, live in, I live in an area in Queens where there's lots of Greek people. So I remember being at a supermarket and this older woman walks up to me. She's speaking Greek. I recognize it as Greek, but I don't know what she's saying. And so she's just talking a mile a minute. And I'm like, I- I'm sorry, I don't speak Greek. And she got really upset. And the reason she got upset is not because I'm not Greek. She got upset because she thinks I'm a Greek who doesn't speak Greek. <laughs> that's the thing that upset her, oh right? God. So that that's the level of certainty that she had that I was Greek. But she's totally wrong. And now imagine me walking away, going, "Man, I better start learning Greek because people see me as Greek." You know, I better start internalizing that. That doesn't make any sense. You know, mm-hmm. but here we are. We do that all the time.
3: Yeah, I have a similar experience. That I one day I was in Boston. I think I was like at uh, the government center or something. Like an old lady just came to me and started to speak Cantonese. He like, he kept staying for like one whole minute. I was like so confused. I don't, I actually didn't even know how to respond her. It's like, do I respond you in English or do I respond you in Mandarin that I actually don't know a thing about Cantonese? (laughs) (laughs) That was something like one experience that was like pretty shocking to me. It was like, oh, Mm. oh, Mm -hmm. should I? Yeah, I have the same like, like personal, like self-doubt. It's like, oh, should I like really start to learn some Cantonese? (coughs) But no. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so that brings us back to the kind of overarching thing of, you know, we have these, these broad policy groupings, you know, for reasons of policy, we have these broad demographic groupings that end up creating, you know, similar situations like that. Like, oh, people expect you to vote a certain way or people expect you to be of a certain socioeconomic status or all of those things, but they're going to be wrong probably more often than they're right. And so we, it, it brings us back to the question, what's the point? of collecting this data in the first place.
0: Yeah. And also grievances, (laughs) right. It's, it's, it's a, it is a way to um, drum up a a certain kind of uh, shared grievance, right. By, by creating these, these identities, uh, these big broad categories. Um, And now, you know, even us Chinese who came much, much later get to kind of plug into this, oh, there's this history of, of, of uh, discrimination in the United States. And, you know, what happened with the Chinese Exclusion Act and the Japanese internment camps during World War II? We all get plugged into that grievance narrative, even though, you know, it's kind of like the, the same tensions within the African American community with descendants of slaves and, and more recent immigrants, say, you know, Caribbean Americans who, who came in more recently. And, and often, if you look at outcomes that way, actually, it's kind of different, right? Um, Nigerian Americans, more recent Nigerian Americans, actually have a very successful group versus if you look at descendants of slaves who've been here. 200, 300 years, like it, it's, it's their outcomes in, in American society. Actually, you know, they vary quite widely.
2: I will mm. to make a comment on that. You're right. There are many new Chinese immigrants. After they learn about Chinese food, honestly, we were shocked actually. And the human yeah. brain again, make a pattern. There must be something alive. This I'm sure there are some anti-Chinese explanation, but I feel people need to be aware it's not everything that everything is, there is a conspiracy throughout history against Chinese. I think human brain loves this type of pattern, thinking, motivation, but we need to overcome that. If we feel there are discrimination, we need to sit down, say, what is the discrimination you feel now? Do you want to address it? How do you want to address it? Rather than say, mm. Oh my god, this thing has been here for since eighteen eighty-two and one hundred years even before that. I mm-hmm. I I know not know thinking that way. But I really worry the kids got to think that way because there are a lot of schools are teaching people to to think you are visualized group of people. Actually, people of color means you are visualized. So you must have certain experience. It means you all you do not live a life as yourself, but you have some type of collective life because of the past of your ancestor. I respect people who want to think that way, totally. But I feel, I, I do not want my kids thinking that way. If something I experienced, some bully, some problem I experienced because of China, American stuff, I want to see it as an outsider. They can feel sad for me as a human being. They can feel mm. this shouldn't have happened to my mother or anybody. Chinese criminal act, this shouldn't have happened. But as a human being, they can feel outrageous by this act. They can feel outrageous by something else. Not because they're identity, but because they're moral compass. That is how I would like to see this because a lot of people, a lot of times when they see the organization I run, said Asian American people rights. You must only want Asian on board of it. I said sorry, <laughs> it's not the case. I make you feel upset <laughs> because the names look like very exclusive. And I would say mm. it's an unfortunate situation because we didn't know better. If we can change the name, maybe we'll say human being or Ameri- American for mm. Asian
1: people, for equal
2: right. Or something <laughs> equal right for Asian descent. But when we right. make it Asian American for something, we are drawing a circle. I didn't realize that. And here I found many people think in a Way, very different from, I, I think, because for me, that thing doesn't have meaning. I just want to make a name. My friend and I just say, make it a name, but we didn't realize it stopped <laughs> so many people from joining a cause. Actually, maybe a lot more people care about Now we are, it's cool to everybody, <laughs> it's cool to act, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, Ye and Daisy, thank you so much for joining us today. Daisy, do you have any final thoughts before we take it away?
3: No, it's just like, because those are questions, I think like uh, the amazing things that I know. Yeah, I know everybody here is like, I'm still like in the process of learning and it's like the fact that everybody has been providing me so many perspectives and things I a- actually never thought about is like quite amazing. I en- <laughs> I actually enjoy being a listener here because just like fed me a lot of things. It's a- because like going back to Melissa said, like Melissa said earlier that she didn't know like she's Asian, like Asian until, until like, you know, she came to US and like, I've been thinking for the past 30, like minutes, like, oh, damn. Yeah. I never thought of that. Like when I talk to people, (laughs) I'm not going to say hi, I'm an Asian. It just like never, ever happened to me before. I'm just like, tell, and Mm. it gets like, um, I think the racial thing is for me as an maybe an outsider coming to US, like starts to get like very confusing at a stage of like, like who I am, like Asian and like Asian, Chinese, whatever, blah, blah, blah. How should I identify myself? I think it's definitely causing a sort of like confusion on myself. So like I think throughout the mm-hmm. way and the message I'm trying to send in that documentary is like, we're still in this process of like figuring out and it's not a very easy thing to do. It gets confusing. We definitely at one stage don't know, don't have the idea, but let's just like, don't trap us in something that, and you just get this because I think like identity is something that is like growing change from time to time. So let's Mm -hmm. just like give ourselves like a solidate definition just right away.
1: Beautifully put. Daisy, yay. Thank you very much for joining us on Fair Perspectives. We really appreciate it. Thank
3: you, guys. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Fair Perspectives. If you'd like to support the show, you can do it by subscribing on YouTube and on your favorite podcast platform and leaving us a positive rating and review. You can also access exclusive podcast content, such as Q&As and bonus episodes, by visiting us and signing up at fairperspectives.org. For weekly FAIR news and opinion pieces by members of the FAIR community, visit our Substack at fairforall.substack.com. And tune into to FAIR News Weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to join or support the pro-human movement, visit us at fairforall.org slash joinus. Thanks again, and see you next time.